Welcome to She's a 10 times 5. You got it. That's the big 5-0. Listen along as we try to figure out our what's next as we venture into this new age of reinvention. Through relatable topics, real-life stories, and inspiring guests, join us on our journey of growth and laughter. Hey, I'm Lori, former Army Airborne Captain, but don't let that fool you. I'm the loose cannon. And I'm Lisa, a girl's girl who loves sugar, but watch out for that spice. Let's do this. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to She's a 10. Hey, Lori. Hey, Lise. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. It's, I'm ready it's a for the warm. weekend. It's Friday. I know. Yeah. Okay. It's really Friday, but I am ready for the weekend. Actually, I started my weekend last night. I know you did. You sent me the photos. I know. I, I can't help it. I'm I'm a... I'm a sucker for a good Snapchat filter when I've had a few cocktails. <laughs> I think you had more than a few last night, but let's Maybe. roll with it. We'll, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> anyway, but today we're going we're gonna to do some fun stuff with a couple guests we're working on today, right? Absolutely. And we're going bi-coastal. We've got a born and raised Manhattan, and then we've got the L.A. woman. I love it. I love it. We get two perspectives today. Yeah. So we're going to start with our first guest. You want to get us teed off? Yeah. So we have in studio, and this just shows how life is so serendipitous. We have someone who is a friend of one of our previous guests and no. a darling friend, Lisa Allen. And her name is Lauren Glassberg. And Lisa told me about her. And I thought, oh, my God, what an amazing woman. And she was born in Manhattan. And then went to Northwestern at a very competitive, by the way, that journalism program is not easy to get into, right? Oh, well, they accepted me, so. <laughs> did did you have yet. to sleep with someone? <laughs> well, that, that was, that's, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. We can, I'm going to go with no. You're going to go with no. Okay, Let's good, go good answer. That. Good answer. Okay. So we have in studio today, Lauren, who is an Emmy award-winning journalist who has been a member of the Eyewitness News team at ABC since 2000. Before coming to WABC-TV, she anchored and reported at stations in Akron. Akron, oh, yeah. Oh, did, I, did I mispronounce that? Shows you I don't go there very often. Little Rock and Minneapolis. She actually got her start in journalism as a teenager reporting for the Main Street Wire, the newspaper on Roosevelt Island, New York. It was always her dream to cover her hometown of New York City. She is primarily WABC TV's feature and lifestyle reporter. And you can watch her restaurant features called Neighborhood Eats. Ooh. I want, yeah. I want that job. I know. That's fun. <laughs> I didn't mean talk about the dream job during Eyewitness News at 5 p.m. She is also a, f a frequent substitute actor. And Lauren, as I said, is a graduate anchor. 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 <laughs> I am the worst actress. Oh, yeah, are you? <laughs> I know. Me too. I, like, no. no who was cocktailing last night? I'm having, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm stumbling through this. Okay. And as I said, she's a graduate of Northwestern's Metal School. Did I say that one right? <laughs> <laughs> Stay hot, Laura. Stay Just hot. The facts. Just the facts, ladies. Okay. Of journalism. <laughs> and she lives in Manhattan. Welcome, Lauren. And, and thank you for indulging me with stumbling through that. I, I love it. Um, uh, thanks so much. I'm so excited and honored and flattered. And I'm going to, uh, am I 
typical journalist fashion, I'm going to correct one error. And that is that I was not born in Manhattan, which is a one-off. I was born on an Indian reservation in Arizona. What? But other than that, I'm a full-on New Yorker. Wow. wow. That's like a random, that's one of those it's things. It's so where random. People, I thought yeah. I yeah. I mean, you know, when you, someone says, oh, what is something we don't know about you? People wouldn't know that would qualify. I mean, that's so random and yeah, not yeah. So it, was, it was like a year or two year stint that my parents were living there and, and I was born there and everyone else in my family was born in New York City. Of course. So. All right. Were you born in a teepee? <laughs> no, no, but we I was living on the Papago Indian Reservation and uh, I guess they reclaimed their name at some point and they're the Tohono Oldham. Reservation, and when I was 35, I insisted on returning to see where we lived. Yeah. And I, my mom and I went for a road trip. I mean, we flew there and you know yeah. went to all the old haunts. And it was they have a, they have a casino there now, so there's that. And and we won 500 bucks. So. Awesome! Well, there you go. Full, full circle. I love that. Adventure. That's very cool, actually. Well, that is that yeah. is rad. So today, Lauren, what we thought is. The whole world of journalism, and now that you're in the epicenter of the news world, what we wanted to do is kind of talk about how you got to where you are, because it's pretty impressive, and it's extraordinarily competitive, especially for women, and then maybe dial in on some really juicy, amazing, pivotal stories. Sounds sounds good. How, do I have you for like 18 hours? Because I can talk about this forever, but I, I'll, I'll be brief. <laughs> okay. Um, Right. So I graduated from Medill and um, I didn't have a job. And uh, it occurred to my mom that I probably wasn't going to take a job or get a job um, at any point. She just said, go (laughs) get a job. You need to stop living at home. That was by the end of the summer. I had a car and this is, I'm, uh, you know, we are 50 and this is pre little portable cell phones. So my parents were kind enough to get a massive phone installed into my car. And it was oh. one, you know, that sort of like took over half of the passenger seat. Those big gray and brick things. Yeah, like those, those massive yes. things. And it was installed, like attached mm-hmm. to sort of the center console. And I had an atlas, a road atlas. And I had a list of TV stations in, around the country. And I had a box of videotapes because that's sort of, you know, pre just sending a video link. You had a tape to send that was your demo reel. And I had a uh, sort of upscale uh, typewriter, which had a couple bars of type that you could see. It was like precursor to a computer, a laptop and um, two interview suits, one of which I bought at Harrods in London while I traveled that summer. And I was really proud of that. So my mom and dad were like, you need to leave and get a job and don't come home until you have one. And I got on the road and I just, I looked at the book where all the stations were listed and I just drove around the country. I put, I don't know, maybe 2,500 miles on my car. I would stay comfort inns for $35 a night and prop a um, chair behind the door so that nobody could barge in. Cause it's like right off the interstate or wherever I was landing. And I would interview at whatever station would, would meet me. And I, I went through like Western New York, Pennsylvania, um, West Virginia, Ohio. And then I went to Northwestern for a weekend to catch up with friends. And I was on my way to Iowa where I heard there was a job opening. And I thought, I don't, I don't really want to live in Iowa. So I turned south and, and headed instead to the south. And I interviewed in, I don't know, Alabama and Georgia and wherever. And I got five offers out of it because nobody returned my calls and nobody 
would even give me the time of day on the phone or look at my demo tapes that I sent. So I just showed up. I love that. That actually is such a good testament to our kids today. I mean, they yeah. they think they can do everything remotely. And I think it's true today that you still need to get in front of people. And I, I love that story. I love it. And I especially well, you, make, you make the personal connection. Yes. Right? And, and it was interesting. I mean, I saw, you know, if you hadn't shown up at these places, you wouldn't kind of know how they operate. And it was probably helpful in determining where I took a job. But I, I made the decision where I ended up taking a job in Akron really was predicated on where my boyfriend lived from college <laughs> and his family was from Pittsburgh. So it was like not that far away. And Akron technically was in the Cleveland market. So I landed a job in the 12th largest city at the time. Uh, Although our station was teeny tiny and didn't operate like a big station. And I was there for um, two years and making, I think, $15,000 a year. I took odd jobs. You know, I was on camera, on TV and could not afford to live, but started paying my dues. And I paid my dues for a really long time, I have to say. From there, I went to... Little Rock, Arkansas, and I covered Whitewater. So that was really interesting. That's a big Um, story. Yeah. And broke um, some stories while I was there and learned about political reporting. And maybe there I was making 20 grand. I mean, it was like indentured servitude. And then I uh, got a job in Minneapolis and I had no ties to Minneapolis, nor did I have any ties to Little Rock, but you sort of go where the job is. Mm -hmm. And um, Minneapolis, the station there was considered one of the best in the station for the quality of writing and editing. And I thought I would learn a lot. And I, I wasn't really excited about the cold, but I took this job in Minneapolis and I was there for two years also and had my own show in the morning um, at nine o'clock. So I did reporting and I also hosted my own show and, Uh, But the drive was always to get back to New York. So I never really felt so entrenched in these cities. I was sort of passing through and paying my dues and wanted to get back to New York. And I came back and landed a job ultimately at ABC, where I've been now for um, 21 years, I guess. Yep. That's great. Wow. That's a a great career with, you know, you're with the big, you're with one of the big staples. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a a local news reporter and a fill-in anchor. And yeah, it's been a really long career and it's the number one station in New York and technically the number one station in America in terms of viewership. So. Wow. Made it. Well, what's really fantastic is just the story of, you just said it, paying your dues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've talked about it over and over again is somewhere along the lines Kids don't realize that going through that grind and, and like you said, we, that's what we did. We hopped where the job was and paid our dues and worked our way up. And and there was no shame in it. It was expected. And if you didn't pay your dues, you, like, you, what would you know? How would you learn the business? I mean, I made my mistakes early on so that when I came to New York, I mean, a week or two in, I was already filling in on the anchor set. And most people get hired right away. Don't do that. And they don't, they don't do that now. And people get hired now have not worked as many years on air as I did prior to coming to New York. And I I love them, but I see a difference. I see when it comes too fast of acumen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I remember being, you know, when I was young, what do I want to be? I always saw the news anchors as the most, anybody on the news as the most glamorous job. And I was convinced they were all making so much money and (laughs) living these, right? And then you, you grow up and then you realize and you talk to people like you and you hear your stories and you're like, 
Really? How did you yeah. even survive on that? It's. I mean, I, I always, I always had part-time jobs, and the Minneapolis I made like enough to sort of survive on. But I, what, I, I've never been paid where I uh, could live lavishly. And there are people, even in the local news market, who are paid very well. But by and large, that that those are few and far between. There's a huge discrepancy between the three or four top people and everyone else. So I'm one of the everyone else. Even though I've made it doing what I'm doing, I'm not the main anchor. So so there's a big discrepancy there. Yes. This is kind of a, my personal fascination. When you get on the news and you become someone, especially when you're a recurring personality, does that change your personal life or does it change anything in your social life? Is there an uh, well, I think in, I think in the smaller markets, yes, because in the smaller markets, when you're on TV, you're you're considered a celebrity because there might not be a pro football team there or pro, pro sports team or, you know, the, the local politicians or the big celebrities and the TV people. You're in people's homes. And also, this is 25 years ago. Everybody watched local news. Now, right. now that's really different. So the people who recognize me in New York are older and maybe you know, they, they know me and some of them are friendly and they say hi, or some of them will corner me. But in New York City, where there are so many famous people, by and large, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I know you, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. But it, you know, in smaller markets, yeah, it would get me a table uh, at a restaurant <laughs> in New York. Uh, I mean, I don't even know, like the young people who are the hostess or, you know, maitre d', they have no idea who I am. Um, See, I would name drop. Do you know who I am? I never, I never do that. I do the neighborhood, you know, coverage of all the restaurants. Right, right. I I don't, I don't name drop. I avoid red carpets. I just like, I haven't, even though I'm on TV, my nature is actually quite private. Mm. Got it. All right. It's interesting that you're a private person that would go into such a public field, you know? Yeah. But that happens a lot, don't you think? There's a lot of people that you know, are on television or in front of a screen or a camera that actually are really private or very shy? Well, I've heard a lot of actors are quite shy. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm shy. I'm emboldened for sure when I've got a camera with me and a microphone that sort of like allows me to break out and ask any pointed question. I have no qualms about that. And yes, I can be provocative just with a, a, a friend or a person I meet, but I'm not like, oh, I can't wait to be on the red carpet. Please take my photo. I right. mean, I go out usually without makeup. My hair is in a ponytail. I don't really care. Um, and when I get recognized, I'm I'm always surprised that people know that it's me because to me, I don't look like I do when I'm on TV, but they, they know. I would, but what drew me to journalism was the writing. And that's still the thing I love most. It's not being on camera. I'm on camera when I'm reporting. I'm on camera for 15, 20 seconds going into my segment and 20 seconds coming out of my Mm -hmm. segment. Or when I anchor, I'm on for an hour or two. That's not where the thrill is. The thrill is in crafting a a story. Well, it's interesting you say that my oldest son from the age of like, because both my kids are huge sports fans. So he wanted to be the next Bob Costas, right? And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm not going to be a dream killer, but you're not going to be a star athlete. And that's a really narrow path. So we sent him to, in his junior year, we sent him to Annenberg for a summer course. It was a college course. And within three days, he's like, okay, I hate this. It was because he thought he was going to be able to get on camera and just talk about sports. And what he didn't realize is that all of the stuff that happens behind the scenes. 
Yeah. But that's yeah. a great, this is why we do internships. And this is why we send them to these things so that their perceptions, they can see what really is going on. And then do you still want to do it? I think it's awesome. Yeah. yeah that's And that's part of the paying your due process. Yeah. And I remember I, I did an internship in Chicago, which is, you know, where Northwestern is. And at the end of the summer, they kept saying, well, let's try you on camera, not to put me on TV, but just to test it out. And I was so intimidated by that, I refused. And it wasn't until the next summer that I finally went in front of the camera just to see how it was. And I was like, well, I guess that kind of works. I can probably do this. Although my voice was very high pitched. And I would, I went to a voice coach a couple of times and she's like, you have no future in this business. Oh my God. So well, shame anyway, on you her. always need somebody to tell you that, right? Like you yeah. need to get fired at some point. You need somebody to browbeat you. And I mean, I've had more than my share, I think, of those people, but more than you'd like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Lauren, talk about let's let's dive into some of your really interesting stories or outcomes or something that you've been a participant in, because I think that's that's got to be an amazing like 20, 21 years. You have to have covered some really fascinating things. Well, uh, the biggest story I covered was 9-11. So I was living pretty close to the World Trade Towers at the time, and it was primary day in New York, and I was supposed to be covering Mike Bloomberg, who was the candidate, and uh, I was going to follow him as he voted for himself. So I remember being dressed, and I um, my parents also lived not far from the World Trade Center, and they had a view of the towers. And I didn't even have TV. I mean, I don't watch a ton of TV, even though I'm on TV. So I, I didn't have a TV at the time. But I guess if I did, maybe it would have been on and I would have seen what was happening. But I didn't. And my mom called me and said, something just hit the World Trade Center. You should get down there. And so I left. I walked. I called my office. I said, I'm heading down. And I, I walked out. I ended up getting a delivery man who was on a bike to give me his bike. And I rode the rest of the way. And um, got down there pretty early on in between um, the first and the second tower getting hit. Um, I think I was on my way down when the second tower was hit by the plane. And I reported initially, I, I was there when the, as the first building came down. I was getting, I was hailing, trying to get a car to take me up to a hospital um, where I could profile victims. As I got the car to stop, I saw the buildings, <gasps> the first building start to come down. So I grabbed wow. other people, we got in the car and then we headed um, out of there. And then I was reporting all day from St. Vincent's Hospital, which was a level one trauma center at the time. It doesn't exist now, but, um, and that's where we were hoping people were being brought. But as you know, not many survived. Mm -hmm. The ambulances were few and far between, but that was, well, that was the biggest story I've ever covered. And lived in, I mean, you were yeah. experiencing it from a human standpoint, along with covering this. I mean, oh, that's got to be doubly yeah. impactful. I mean, it's 20 years uh, this November and every or September, rather, every September 11th is not an easy day. It always starts with a call from one of my closest friends, who's also a colleague, because she and I ran into each other down at the um, site. And there's video that was sent out and my friends around the world saw it. And it was the two of us sort of crouched down behind a car because one of the police officers said there are reports of another of another plane. Of a third so plane or was this, I'm sorry, was when he said 
was that a third plane they thought, or was this before we didn't the second know. one went we, down? We didn't know. Oh. I mean, it might've been the plane going to the Pentagon. I yeah. don't know. You know, when everything was yeah. so chaotic up in the air at that point. And my, I grabbed her and I was like, we need to know. I had just been on outward bound. And my, my thought was we need to duck. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was irrational. Um, but that video was sent out around the world. And it also was used, I think, in Bowling for Columbine. There's like a sequence where you hear Michael Moore saying Americans live in fear. And it's it's my friend Nina and I crouching right after the planes well, had hit. I, I mean, I can only imagine being on the ground there because, you know, I'm back in California. So were you, Lise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're we're watching the first tower gets hit and we were no one was thinking it was intentional at that point on our end. Right. It was like, wow, okay, this something went really wrong, right? And then when the second plane hit, I think we were all dumbfounded. And then when the Pentagon hit, we're like, okay, this is this is a problem, right? Yeah. I, I can't even I mean, imagine. I, I remember talking to an officer and I said, well, so what kind of plane was it? What plane? And I wasn't really processing that the second tower had also been hit, even though I was on my on this bike on the way down when that happened, I wasn't processing because you're kind of under it all and you're not like really even sure of what you're seeing. Um, she said, oh no, it was like a jet. And I was like, it's a jet? If it's a jet, it's a jet? Uh, if it's a jet, we are under attack. I mean, that I knew immediately. Because initially I'm like, oh, there's a radar. Something's off with the radar. And it was like a Cessna because there were planes that would always fly around New York City back then. Sure. Oh. What, what were people's reactions that were on the ground? Were they kind of like you, like just crouched and? No, I mean, most people I think were like getting out of there. You know, that's the crazy thing about news people. We go. You go in. in. You stick around. Yeah. I mean, like the tide of people was going this way and I was going, I mean, I got on a bicycle to get down there as fast as possible. I mean, that should tell you sense of sort of like how committed we are. But my mom you know, watch the towers come down with my family. They'd all gathered there and they thought I was dead. You know, oh my goodness. they didn't hear from me. I mean, you couldn't get phone calls out and eventually I was able to connect with them. Yeah, I mean, it was, you didn't know what you were you were going into, but you knew, you knew you had to go down there. Right, your journalistic instincts just kick in and yeah. you know you have to get there. Wow. I have to say though, you know, that's 20 years ago. My proclivity of running in, has waned a bit. You know, I know, I know some of your um, podcasts are about stepping back or sort of refocusing or figuring out a new approach or how do you live your next few years? And I think, you know, I've seen some of the biggest uh, stories. I've been part of them and, or maybe I'm just a little numb to it all, but to me, like nothing is going to be as big a deal as that. So seen that, done that. It's not that I don't care about the fire that they want me to cover. It's not that I don't care about the shooting, but in the grand scheme of things, like they're not as big. Well, as God, that. yeah. How do you, t- I mean, yeah, I could, that makes complete sense to me. I mean, you've seen the worst of the worst. So at that point, yeah. what else? Can yeah, you I mean, there? aside from covering mm-hmm. a war, which I never mm-hmm. have. Right. What are some of the stories that, you know, I mean, you enjoy, like, you're like, okay, yes, I'm, I'm getting you. I mean, thousands of stories you've probably covered in those 21 years. What are some that you're like, okay, this is going to be fun. Oh, I mean, I just did a story 10 days ago and it was just, you never really know what you're going to get. I like doing profiles on people. I always think there's like, you want, 
these little nuggets of information that are sort of surprising or really lovely moments that make the narrative sing. So I got assigned a story. Oh, go cover. This guy is 105 years old. He's having a birthday. Okay. Well, whatever. Like what's a 105 year old going to give me, but I interviewed this 105 year old man and he was quick witted and sharp and funny. And we had these moments that really made for a beautiful story. And I love the fact that like his whole family was just moved by it. My viewers were moved by it. And those, yes, I can cover the huge crises and the big stories, the breaking news, but it's the moments like that, which I think resonate with our viewers. Like, I think those are the ones that they say, Hey, did you see that story about that? Can you imagine living to 105 years old? And he was totally with it. And he was a little naughty and fresh. (laughs) Those are. Sounds like my kind of guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and those are the ones that typically go viral, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that this would go viral, but yeah, I mean, those are what we call water cooler stories there. Well, remember back in the days when people used to gather at the office around the water cooler? I don't know what that is anymore. But anyway, pre-pandemic, that idea of chatting about those moments. Right, right. Do you have a inspirational, a journalistic inspiration, a person that you followed their career and have always looked up to you or when you were young and that you were inspired by? I mean, I always liked Cokie Roberts, who did a lot of political reporting. And I just I thought she was just so smart. And also she wasn't the most glamorous woman. I mean, she was a journalist and she was a political commentator and she she lived it. I mean, she lived in Washington. She knew it. She breathed it. And I, I remember reading her book and thinking, wow, she's terrific. And there was a moment that I thought about being um, a political reporter. And I actually don't think I was ever taken seriously enough because um, I have a background in political science as well. And why do you uh, think that is? What do you, what do you think? Was- I don't know. I mean, listen, journalism, TV journalism is a lot like acting in the sense that you're typecast, you know, mm-hmm. blonde, big smile, big eyes. I don't know. My face tends to be a happier face and not a serious. And even though I can ask pointed questions, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the role that my bosses have envisioned for me. Now, I mean, I cover a fair bit of politics. I mean, I just covered Governor Cuomo resigning. And that was a big story in New York this past uh, week. So I certainly can do it. I just have never done it on a daily basis. It's never been my job title. Right. Okay. You brought up Cuomo. What's your take on this? So his brother is one of the big guys at CNN and had to remove himself. Does he recover from that because of his... The night that Cuomo uh, announced his resignation, I don't think that Chris even had it in his show. And I'm saying that I heard that, so I I can't confirm that. I read that. Mm -hmm. That is a fact. That's Mm -hmm. amazing to me. Mm -hmm. Like, you just ignored a huge story. Maybe you don't anchor your show that night and you have somebody fill in for you because that is the big story of the day. I mean, sort of like we know that there's a lot of partisan TV out there, but that's pretty partisan to me. Mm-hmm. And this is a great segue into something that's a little bit provocative, which we didn't plan on going into. But I think it's a good as a media person, you, you almost you have an obligation to report the facts, report what's going on. And. I agree with you. I felt like that was a situation where his professional integrity was questioned and he should have recused himself from that night or 
And he's done that now since, right? He's taken a leave, correct? I actually, well, I don't know. I, I don't know if he's taken a leave. I I couldn't comment on that. I, I read but, that he was on, on a planned vacation. That's okay. what I heard. But I also know that he advised his brother and that's tricky. Right. You know? mm-hmm. But look, I'm not, I'm not sure that Chris Cuomo is uh, a neutral journalist. I think, you know, CNN in a lot of ways has done not quite what Fox does, but has be, has become a stage for a lot of opinion. Mm-hmm. And he's opinion he's opinionated. Right. So he's not you can't profess that he's a neutral journalist when he's also advising his brother on those situations. Okay, I'm going to caveat that. This is great because we have as a society and I'm I'm going to speak from my personal heart, I I feel like we've lost a lot of faith in media. And, you know, we all look for the answers and we're looking for that trusted voice. The, you know, remember Walter Cronkite, Dan Rather, like you had had three anchors and with great gravitas and they may have had a lot of personal opinions. Everybody does, but they certainly didn't let that through. Look, the media, there's so many channels and the media is a business at the end of the day. You know, it's not state sanctioned media. It's not free media. These are publicly traded companies. So while I do think ABC is pretty cut and dry, middle of the road, I think MSNBC, we know where they stand. We know where Fox is, but like those are generating money. They have stockholders. That's, that's the problem. They're conglomerates. And then you have, you have politicians who lambast the media and say, don't believe it. Like that's democracy is founded on media being able to scrutinize government and to be able to do it fairly. And when you hear people in power saying you can't do that or don't believe anything, well, then you're either onto something or you're losing faith and trust in that fourth estate. Well, how does that make you feel as someone who has dedicated your whole adult life to a profession? Is it disheartening? Does it ever make you want to toss in the towel? I mean, my colleagues have been accosted on the street. You know, you get, you, you're about to go live and, oh, fake news, fake news. I mean, I've heard that too. It's never really un- interrupted my live shop, but, you know, we get yelled at all the time, fake news. And I can assure you that um, certainly where I work, no one ever sat, no manager ever sat there and said, hey, today we really need to be very liberal. We really need to slam President Trump. If anything, it was please keep your integrity, make sure you are fair, make sure you go above and beyond not to allow any of your opinions in. So it is frustrating to be sort of grouped into this, oh, you're all, you're all extremists, but we're not. And the media serves a huge purpose. I mean, we could live somebody somewhere that's not a democracy and you would understand that the media has a role because when you don't have fair media. Okay, sorry, I just had to put that in there. Right? Like, yeah. No, I, I hear you. Hey. Yeah, people don't yeah. understand the role of media, too. You know, I'll be on a sidewalk and a corporation will come out and be like, you can't, the security guards, you can't stand on our sidewalk. Oh, no, actually, we can't. <laughs> like, this is like, this is city owned property. This is, we are, we are journalists we're allowed to do that it's amazing how americans are not um up to speed on informed that. yeah 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 i i gotta think it's so disheartening and you said it this is a profession where 
you know, like many professions, you, you work your way up, you pay your dues. She knows I, I call it and I say it to my kids, eat shit and say yummy for a very long period of time because that's <laughs> part of the deal, right? And you got to have passion, especially when you're not, you're not making enough or it, you're, you're doing it because the love of the work. And, right. you know, now you're in a situation where you have pay your dues. I didn't sign up for that. Yeah. Right. right. The other thing that I think is really disheartening is I think we're a snacking society. And I think we look towards, we, we just want the 10 second flyby. Yeah. That is the problem. People love the headline. And that's that's all they know, but there's so much more to every single story. I mean, look, TV news is not deep. Mm-mm. You're never, I'm, I watched an interview, it was on uh, South African TV, and it was like an hour-long interview, and it was so lovely. Um, it was about uh, vaccines, and I was like, wow, we don't really do that in America, right? Like, when was the last time you sat down and watched an hour-long interview with somebody who was changing the world? We just, I mean, you know, we have 20, 20, and 60 minutes, but they're like, 10 minutes long, those segments. Exactly. And that's long. That's like mm-hmm. Americans' appetite for a soundbite is 10 seconds. Like you border on 20 seconds and you've gone too long. What do you think the cause of that is? Because sometimes I think is, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, don't you think at some point the media is also responsible for those teases and those setting the tone and writing those headline grabbing things? The sizzle that has, Yeah, that's conditioned us to fall for it or learn to adapt to that. So, I mean, well, I think, um, I think it is, I'm not sure which which it is the chicken or the egg, because I know like, for example, when we cover storms, snowstorms in New York, I hear from our viewers all the time. Oh my God, why are you covering that storm for eight hours? It's just snow. (laughs) And we'll say, Oh, trust me. We don't want to be out there, but also, Oh my God, you've watched in record numbers. Like, our viewership is off the charts during a snowstorm. So you guys are sitting there watching it. You have an appetite for it. So I don't know what came first, right? Mm-hmm. This sort of like bold headlines, the flash, the music, dun, 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 you know, coming up tonight, you know, woman, you know, whatever she does, like jumps from a treetop and saves a child. And that's not really what the story is, but it's the headline and it grabs you. And then the story is 40 seconds long and it's really not exactly that. I don't know. The viewer doesn't stop watching necessarily because of that. Well, I also think technology has the platforms and how we get content, you know, has kind of forced a lot of the players into a conformity box because it's built for those small little videos, right? And right. in fact, you know, like I laugh, like during the election, I, I have a junior in, in college and she's got a, all three of our college kids are at the same college. <laughs> so oh, we, wow. got, we got a sophomore, a junior and a senior. And, you know, the election happened and th- they could vote. And I remember talking to my son and, and he would send me these videos and I'm like, dude, read like, this is like, you're breathing too high of, like, too thin of air on this thing. There's so much more depth, but you got to read. But I feel like, you know, he goes on Instagram. What do they do? They limit you to 59 seconds, right? Or And so. then they don't click on the link for more mm-hmm. of the story here, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you watch TV and you have a phone in your hand. You're multitasking now. So even, I mean, and we, we take our stories. Well, I don't, but somebody takes my stories and whittles it down to a 20 second little Instagram web friendly post. So you're getting even less content. 
and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's a disservice. And I think, uh, I, look, I think we could be a lot smarter as a society by digging a little deeper and reading more. I 100% agree. Okay, I, I, I'm loving this because this is the kind of <laughs> this is the kind of shit that keeps me up at night. Okay, let me ask you this: as a long-standing professional in this business, emotions. Do you feel as though we're feeding, and, and you, the media is feeding off of emotions or off of factoids? Does that make sense? Uh, I think both. I think the emotional stories. Look, you go to a movie, you want you want emotion. You want the narrative to draw you in. That's tied to No, we want Brad Pitt right? to draw us in. That's right. <laughs> That'd, be nice. That'd be nice. But I think it's I think it's both. I mean, I think it's facts, but I also think there's a lot of color with that. And the color is what pulls at the emotional, the heartstrings. But a story is always better if there is a narrative. And the narrative is always playing off of emotions. It might be joy. It might be sadness. It might be anger. It might make you impassioned. It might make you scream. It might make you throw something at the TV. But a better story is one with a narrative. Absolutely. I mean, otherwise, what is it? I mean, it's right. just, otherwise, you it's know, like it's bold today, points. Right. Today, three people were shot in the Bronx next. Okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, well, I, what, what, you know, who were those people and why did that happen? Well, we, we tend to oscillate in our house and I know Lisa's been, you had to become the ostrich in your house, right? Yeah. With, with news. But I do, we, we oscillate between Rachel Maddow and this is my husband, right? We got Anderson Cooper, Rachel Maddow, and then we got to go to Fox. Just because we gotta get we gotta get the trifecta, right? Get a little, yeah. And I, I sometimes I have to like lean out of that shit because I feel like it's toying with my emotions more than it's giving me the scoop, which is why I mentioned that. Uh, well, right, because those are talking heads. Those are those are not going deep into the. Well, look, I mean, yes, they are going into the details, but there's so much opinion. They're just right. laden with opinion. That's the. And whole, I think yeah. I think facts can be twisted there well there are alternate facts and there are facts but true facts can always be uh used in a way that can support your opinion if you're savvy enough Mm -hmm. right so you have to be careful and i know my dad watches a lot of um talking head tv very upset very riled up and i'm like oh i can't do it and that's the point of those shows the point is to be provocative and you know, gather their armies of believers in their opinion. And then the other stations are doing the same. And that to me is not news. That's, that's just um, like talk show. Yeah. It's a talk show in the form of an anchor at a desk is that's how I perceive it. Yeah. I mean, it's not really different than um, like a Jon Stewart doing satire. Right. right? I mean, with less humor and less wit. Don't you Um, miss him? Oh, oh, he was great. I saw him the other day. This was a New York moment. So he used to live a couple blocks away from me and I would see him from time to time, but I haven't seen him in a long time. And I saw him and I think he recognized me just from the neighborhood. And we just sort of did one of these like, hey, hey. And the next thing I know, I hear somebody go, John, John. And I turn around and Trevor Noah is going, John, John. And he's running across the street and John turns around. He's like, I can't believe that that's who's calling me. And there they were like hugging. It was like a bromance. Oh, um, I love that. Crazy, he's good too. Like, I like Trevor. Oh, 
yeah. Trevor Noah, he was from um, South well, Africa, right? Yeah, he's yeah. South African. But yeah. he does the he. It's his show. Like yeah, he's, yeah. He's jo- he's the new John Stewart. Yeah, that's cool. The New York moment that you witnessed. <laughs> so, Lauren, what what's next? Like, what yeah. where is your azimuth pointed, and what are some of the things that you that you would love to do and accomplish and change? Well, yeah. I mean, I'd, I've done a lot of soul searching about what's next because you know TV news is not technically very friendly toward women um, in the 50 and up bracket. Right. So mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I mean, just look at your local newscast. There aren't many, there are, there are quite a few men of that age, but women are fewer. I decided I, I kind of did a deep dive thinking, what, what am I going to do? And I decided sort of to just keep at it. I have a really sort of good balance uh, with my life doing what I do and I'm good at it and I'm really efficient, which is nice, you know, to be at that point. Is it the most satisfying? Not every day, but I'm a single mom and it allows me at this point in my career, I can still be a pretty present mom. And that's really important to me. And maybe one day I'll, I'll write more. That would be, you know, the vision is to have this like second house somewhere with picket fence and I'm (laughs) spending time writing a book. Do you have a a preference on your writing style? You like you like more fiction or novels yeah, or no, nonfiction? I think it would be more memoir. I mean, mm-hmm. I've already started working on something, and I sort of put it to rest for a while, and maybe mm-hmm. I would pull that back out and finish it and just finally do it. Although I think I'd probably be better um, suited for nonfiction, considering what I do for right. a living. Yeah, some investigative nonfiction type stuff. Yeah. That yeah. seems. But I'm not at the point where I can lean out, unfortunately, because I work really hard and I've worked really hard for a long time, but I have a child to support. So I've got to just keep at it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What's one salacious story that you like still keeps you like, you remember when we covered that? You got to have something like that you were involved in and you're like, oh my God, I got to go home and take a shower after this. (laughs) I mean, the Elliot Spitzer story was pretty. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. our governors in New York have not done a stellar job. <laughs> well, yeah, they have a track record lately. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he was he was using a prostitute service. He was client number nine, I think. Oh wow, nine. That was pretty unseemly. I don't know, Anthony Weiner. I was oh, just going to say the Weiner I was going to say story. the Weiner. And it, yeah, how funny you... his name is Weiner. I mean, is I that know, not that's... talk and about years apropos? Ago, years ago, somebody tried to set me up with him. And I said, no, thanks. Mm. I don't know. I, I met him a number of times. I just didn't vibe. Just strange. You know, <laughs> yeah. like it wasn't for me. And that was a good choice. Yeah. Your instincts. You followed yeah. them wisely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. then didn't he like that was like the story that never ended? Yeah, no, he then he doubled down. I mean, he basically yeah. kind of got through the first round and then and just didn't learn yeah. and recrashed. I mean, what an idiot! Yeah. Oh my god, he was a cat for a while. He had a, he had multiple lives that he just kept. Yeah, <sighs> what an yeah. idiot. And then and then they ended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we get one. We get one of those stories every couple of years in New York. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's oh New gosh. York. You gotta, yeah. you know, gotta. What? What is the, I, I'm curious to know with Cuomo, what is the public opinion overall? I mean. Well, I think 
Um, well, he's facing a couple of different issues, right? So uh, there are people who are upset about the nursing home deaths and they're mm-hmm. sort of holding his feet to the flames on that. They're, uh, they wanted him to go down or pay for that. So you've got that fueling this. He historically has always ruled with a very tough- heavy, Yeah, heavy hand. My, yeah, it's my way. It's mm-hmm. my show. I mean, you, 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 there, is, there are instances where he really snaps at reporters. And so mm-hmm. you see that, you know that he, he's capable of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, uh, he had not a lot of friends anymore in Albany. And Albany is like very old school, very entrenched politics. And I think- if you don't have your coalition, you're you're not going to s- survive very long. And then I think these allegations of harassment, which uh, the attorney general had an independent investigation and found that they were uh, indeed cases of sexual harassment in a toxic workplace. I think those alone, like in a vacuum, if he hadn't had the nursing home issues and he hadn't burned enough bridges in Albany, maybe he would have survived. But I think it was just one more thing. Right. With Me Too movement that has so much power now. Uh, look, it, it wasn't like he was doing what Bill Clinton did in office. It's not like he was doing what Anthony Weiner was doing. I mean, like mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, he wasn't uh, sexually abusing people in, in a very horrible, horrible way. But I mean, we're women who've worked and you all know what that's like when you work for a boss who, you know, grabs you or retaliates against you if you don't do everything that they have said. I mean, I had a boss who would try to kiss me all the time. Like I've lived through that. And now it's a different time that that's just not copacetic. You just can't do that. Right. Thank God. And you see that it takes 11 women coming forward for something to change. Oh, gosh. I mean, and I'm being a mother of three girls. I mean, I just, uh, I just, I hope, yeah, I I hope it does change. It's going to be much easier for Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, in the military when I got out of my active duty tour, I, you have to still serve a little bit of reserve time and I had a reserve unit and it was like me because I was a captain and there were, there was very brass heavy where I was at. And it was like a gauntlet every weekend that I had to go in and I would dread it. And so finally I came in and I said, here's the deal. You're going to release me from my obligation to ever show up here anymore or I'm taking you all out. And that was my last weekend. <laughs> but, but, you. but, you know. What, the harassment was so bad? It was so bad. It was really, really bad. It was like passing down the hallway and exactly what you said. Like they would, do, yeah. So, well, you know, with Governor Cuomo, it's just so interesting. It just goes to show how quickly things can change. Because remember, during the election period, we're all like, maybe he should run for office, Right. Yeah, and he was with the whole COVID thing. He was heralded. He was the hero. As, yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah. and that's. But isn't that amazing? I mean, life can change in a second. But yeah. he, he was his own worst enemy, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yep. New York, right? And I think that's what's hard for some New Yorkers. They still view him as the hero who got us through this and got us to the other side of the worst of COVID. And it's hard for them to reconcile that what 11 women have said about him, how could it be that bad that he has to step down? Mm-hmm. I think they're all their own worst enemies, aren't they? Most of those. There's a chip, There's a chip there. Yes. This has been amazing, Lauren. I mean, like, has. I, I feel like I could, I need to be in the Hamptons at your parents' house with a nice bottle of wine talking to Some you. Rosé, rosé all day. 
Uh, are we done? No, we're not done. Let's just keep talking. <laughs> let's, let's keep talking. Okay, well, baby. I'm going to put you in the hot seat in a second. Is there anything else that you, as part of your story, would love to just say or get off your chest? Or Because I think people are going to find, like, what you do is fascinating for most of us. Uh, well, I mean, we didn't really talk about the personal stuff, but I, I'm not like a huge, I'm not very public about this, but I will share that I had a child on my own at 43. So I uh, have a seven and a half year old and he is the most delicious thing, but I'm um, so I'm a working mom with a kid on my own. And that, that has been far more rewarding than any Emmy award or any story I've ever done. No, I was going to say, how did you decide to embark on motherhood as a single mom? What was your thought process through all of that? I guess that's really our next show. But yeah. I will say, I, will say um, I always wanted to be a mother. Mm-hmm. And I had been engaged a couple of times. And I'm just a poor picker of men and decided ultimately that I wasn't going to forego the chance to be a mom. So I you. did. It took, it took a couple of years for it to work. And I finally was able to have my son. Now, you used a surrogate, correct? No, that baby came out of my belly. Oh, okay. Now, bikinis are not ever going to be worn again. Okay. I can relate. Yeah, well, <laughs> we can all relate to that. <laughs> Try three. It really ruins the bikini. <laughs> so, you know, that that was a big, bold move for you yeah. as someone who's on camera and yeah. going through the physical changes and then, you know, and being very pregnant, father, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you ready to be put in the hot seat? Okay. What does that mean? That means I'm going to ask you some blind questions. Okay. And I don't even know the uh, questions. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, let's see how you do, New Yorker. Okay. Ready okay. for Lowe's lightning round? I'm going to give you a little sound effect just to set the mood. Okay. Can you hear that? That's lightning. Is that lightning? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm such a goober. <laughs> no, I really am. Sometimes I, I, I really think I'm I'm a little girl, like a five-year-old girl inside. Okay. So the theme of this is about you New Yorkers. Okay. And so we're Californians, so we're, we're going to put you to the task. Okay. You ready for the first? I'm going to soft toss you. Okay. Why do New Yorkers think they're so tough? <laughs> New York tough, New York strong. We are. I mean, life is hard in New York. You don't just get into your car and drive to the shopping center and pick up your groceries. I mean, you've got to wade through the millions of people, get on the subway. It's just frenetic. I think it makes us tough. Yeah. All right. Good answer. Why do New Yorkers always have to announce they're from New York? (laughs) Pride. Because, you know, there's only New York. Oh, are there other cities outside of New York? Yeah, there you oh, go. There are. Yeah, I don't. I can't really name ten. Uh, no, <laughs> that's just total New York centric pride. Okay, I have to tell you that. something. So I was in Germany when I was an officer, and we would get kids from all over the place. Right? There were three types of people that would say not they're from the U.S., but they would say the state they're from. Which states do you think? New York. California. I don't know. Texas. Texas. (laughs) Where are you from? Texas. Texas. Like, of course. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. We're moving into question three. And can you start to sound more New York? Like, can you get like, you know, like. She's trained. She has. Yeah, she's. 
Okay. Can you uh, dig into your New York accent? Okay. You're going to. No, 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 I didn't. No, you can't. Because I don't have a New York accent. Okay. Yes. You're going to love this one. This is great. Why do New Yorkers always have to walk like they are in the born identity? It's so true. <laughs> Isn't that what true? Does that mean? I don't know what that like, means. Like just like you're on a mission. Oh, <laughs> on a mission. Okay, I yeah, walk yeah. So quickly, and my son walks so quickly. I love it. I'm like, you are such a little New Yorker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what we really hate more than anything are wide walkers, people who spread out across the whole mm. sidewalk and you can't get through. Yeah. There is nothing that upsets a native New Yorker more than wide walkers. But we're wide in a hurry. We got yeah, they, they got things to do. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good tip. Okay, I'll make sure not to be a wide walker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two more. Why do New Yorkers call hot dogs Franks? I don't. I call it a hot dog. Okay. <laughs> All right, this is key, and and this is true because I've spent enough time in New York. Why do New Yorkers always say it's a couple blocks away? It's, it's never, never a couple blocks. I disagree. I think that's like, you know, when you live in the suburbs and you go, just go down the street and, and you know, you'll turn at that that other that lane or that intersection. The Down the street is like a mile down the street. So I don't know. I disagree. I think couple blocks is a couple blocks. Okay. All right. right you did. Nice to walking. That's the problem. Yeah, we are. That's true. That's very true. Very true. Walking for us is an, an exercise and it's, it's, uh, it's not getting from A to B usually. It's normally getting the key or, from your neighbor. Right. 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 <laughs> it's, yeah, it's definitely not to get somewhere. No, yeah. no. You did good, Mama. Yes. All right. We're going to end on a little song today. But first. First, Lauren, why don't you tell us, is there a place we can find you or a place where uh, listeners can find you on WABC? Oh, give well, us your, give Instagram. Us your Instagram. I am on Instagram. You're laughing, but I'm going to have to look up what my Instagram is. I think. Yeah, there we go. I would have too, actually. See <laughs> how unself promoting I am? It's I'm at Lauren Glassberg. So that's okay. pretty easy. And um, well, you can watch our news when you're in New York on Channel 7, but also we're at abc7ny.com. Excellent. All okay. right. All right. Are you ready? You say you can't yeah. sing, but I, I, I don't believe you. And she's absolutely gorgeous. Someone yes. like this, I know you can sing. Yes. Okay. Pressure. Well, right, you got your lyrics out. Do you feel? I mean, the, I love that. I mean, this song is pretty. It's yeah, like, this is. If you don't know this, you're really not New York. Okay. Come I mean, on. this is like singing Jingle eyes. Bells or All something. Right. Here we go. These blue sound blues. <laughs> I'm melting away. Wow, it's slow. <laughs> Gonna be a brand new start of it. You had to go to the very end, didn't you? In old New York. <laughs> this is awful. This is awful. Make it, make it there. I'll make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York. New York. Woo. Okay. That was a little rough. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you went to the crescendo. I 
I went, the live version. I'm we like, went oh, to the, oh, oh. the live crescendo version. Why not? Like, you know, we've got we've got a superstar what on our hands. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren, thank you so much. Thank fun. you so Can't much for being here. So great meeting you. And find Lauren Glassberg on Instagram. Yeah, she's yeah. she's a sledgehammer. All right, thank you, Lauren. Thanks, guys. Follow us on Instagram at she's a 10 times five. Click on the link in our bio to listen. You can also find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to hit subscribe.